read from John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's Christmas season, and um, I know Karen and I will probably watch It's a Wonderful Life once again. Uh, I imagine that most of us here have shows or books that we like to experience each Christmas season, and it doesn't seem to grow old. So I thought in that spirit, I would tell you an old illustration uh, that you've probably heard many times, and you'll say, yeah, we, we want to hear that one again. <laughs> it happened in my last year at seminary when I was in Dallas, and during the Christmas season, <clears throat> I went to the mall, and I brought little booklets that explained who Jesus is. And I was handing them out, and just about everyone very courteously accepted that uh, tract and uh, moved on, thanking me for it. Well, I handed it out to one young man, and he actually stopped right there and opened it and started to read it. So I engaged him in conversation, and I said, so uh, why, do you th why, why do we celebrate Christmas? And he said, well, it's because it's the birth of Jesus. I asked, well, out of all the people who have ever been born, why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? And he said, because he is the Savior of the world. I really like that answer. I thought of stopping there, but I, got, I thought I'd go one more question. He said, so, so what does it mean that Jesus is Savior of the world? And he looked at me, shrugged his shoulders, and says, beats me. Now, at his age, uh, I probably didn't know as much as he did. I don't know if I would have said he's the savior of the world. And we're all at different points on a spiritual journey. Some of us know very little about Jesus. Some of us know Christmas and Easter. Others of us can remember the Sunday school stories about the different things Jesus did, the teaching and, and the miracles. And then some of us have dug deeply into the theology, the Christology, teaching about Jesus. And we can understand a lot of theology, but none of us really fully understands Jesus. And so during this Christmas season, we want to at least grow a little deeper in our understanding. So Travis and I are beginning the book of John, the Gospel of John, and we're going to take the five messages of Advent and we're going to spend them on the first 14 verses of John because they are so rich in displaying Christ for us. Well, let's pray. Our Father, wherever we are right now, whether we're skeptics, whether we're just coasting, 
not pursuing, whether we are passionately pursuing, whether we've been Christians for a while or a long time. There's more for us to learn about Jesus Christ. Lord, use the, the messages this Christmas season by your Spirit to not have us just intellectually learn about Jesus, but to experience him and who he is and why he came. Meet us, Lord, in your word this morning and throughout this season. Amen. So we open with the first verse, and it says, In the beginning, one of the most momentous verses in all of Scripture, in the beginning was the word. And the Greek word for word is logos. And the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God. This is a gigantic statement that before time ever began, John has brought us back beyond human history. Before the world was created, he, he gives us a glimpse into eternity past, and he says, before anything, the Lagos existed and he was with God, and he was God. Now, next week, Travis is going to unpack the latter part of that. What does it mean that he's with God and was God? What is the dynamic union of that trinity, and what does it mean for our lives? But Travis will lead us there. This morning, I want to concentrate really on two words, lagos, and what that means, what that teaches us about Jesus, and the fact that John starts the book with, in the beginning. So we're going to see who Jesus is in the Lagos term, and we're going to understand why he came by pursuing those words in the beginning. The word Lagos was treasured by both Jews and Greeks. For the Jews, when they heard word, word, it made them think of God's creative power, especially when it's coupled with in the beginning, the, the inaugural words of the Bible itself, in the beginning, God created. God spoke into the darkness. He said the words into the darkness, let there be light. And so in the, the Jewish mind and understanding, the word was an expression of God himself. The word had all the qualities, all the attributes of God because they came forth from God. At the same time, the word had a personality in the scriptures. Uh, Rodney Whitaker, one of the commentaries on John, says this, God's word and wisdom were often spoken of as though they were persons. And we just have an example of that in Proverbs chapter 8. And Proverbs chapter 8 is speaking of wisdom, and wisdom speaks as though it was a person. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. 
And so we see this is wisdom offering all that God has to offer, but it's speaking as though it's a person. And so when the Jewish people hear this, the word, they think of God, but also through this, a personality as well that is distinct from the person of God. So as John lays this out, he is preparing the Jewish people for understanding that you can have a single God and yet the word be with God as an expression of God distinct from him. He's laying the foundation for the fact that this man, Jesus, is going to claim to be God himself. And we see that run throughout the book of John. John 1.1, the word was with God, the word was God. John 1.16, that the word expresses the very person of God. John 5.17, Jesus declares himself the son of God. And the people around him take that and say, you're making yourself equal to God. Why? Because a son is of the same nature as the father. And they pick up stones to stone him because he is claiming to be God. Chapter 2, he calls himself, his body, the temple. And what was the temple? The temple, the Holy of Holies, was the place where God resided. And Jesus is saying, I am God residing in your midst. John 8, 58, he says, I am. He uses the divine name, the name that God spoke to Moses. When Moses said, who are you? And God says, I am that I am. And Jesus claims to be I am. And again, the Jews pick up stones to stone him to kill him. John 10, 30, he says, I, I and the Father are one. John 14, he says, do you want to know and see the Father? I. Have you, just look at me. Look at the way I've lived and you've seen the Father. And that thread is so powerful that the book reaches its pinnacle in chapter 20 when the greatest doubter of all, Thomas, who wouldn't believe 11 disciples who had seen Jesus raised from the dead, he wouldn't believe them unless he saw with his eyes. When he finally sees the resurrected Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. This is going to be very difficult for the Jews to accept. The faithful Jews every morning would recite the Shema from Deuteronomy where it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. If you wanted to turn Jewish people off to your faith, if you wanted to chase them away, then claim to be God. If someone was going to make up a story about Jesus to get people to follow Jesus, they would not claim that he is God. If Jesus wanted Jewish followers, he would not claim to be God unless he truly is God. 
And that's why he proclaims it. But I think John 1.1 1, 1 is laying the foundation by saying the Word. The Word is God, but the Word was distinct from God. It had a personality. He's laying the foundation for the Jewish people to think maybe it is possible for there to be one God, yet in distinct personalities. But the Word, which also the Old Testament is pregnant with the Trinity, even though it doesn't speak about, calls God one, and doesn't speak about the different and distinct personalities within the Godhead. Creation itself, God says, let us make God in our image. Who's the us if God's the creator? When he speaks of the angel of the Lord, who comes down, the angel of the Lord is spoken of as the Lord himself. The Spirit of God is called the Spirit of God. And so, though the Old Testament doesn't distinctly teach the Trinity, it truly is pregnant with the Trinity. In this verse, starts to open up the minds of the Jewish people to the fact that Jesus could actually be who he says he is, God himself. This word was just as meaningful, if not more, to the Greeks. Leon Morris captures this most succinctly. He says, The term logos gave expression to their deepest conviction of the rationality of the universe. They did not think of the logos as a person, so they didn't understand it as we would, God. For them, the Lagos was essentially a principle or a force, but the important thing is that if it was a principle, it was the supreme principle of the universe. It was the force that originated and permeated and directed all things. So the Lagos in the Greek mind is a principle, but it is a principle that gives us purpose, gives us meaning, gives us understanding of the universe. It's the force that works throughout the universe to bring everything together. And if you could discover the principle, you have the key to all of life. We use the word logic. We use logic, which grows out of the word logos, to make sense of things, to put things together give us proper understanding. And that's what the Logos was. Uh, I don't know how many of you ever saw the movie National Treasure, but in the movie uh, Nicolas Cage, even as a little boy, he's, he learns that there's this treasure, this vast treasure, the greatest treasure on earth that's been stored up through the ages in various cultures. Uh, and he's just given one little clue, and that is, that uh, the, the answer is in the Charlotte, which is a ship. Well, as he grows older, he discovers where the Charlotte is. He finds it, and all they get out of it is this ivory pipe that's like, like a picture on of, a, of a castle on it with, with one soldier, one uh, knight of a Templar. But in that, he gets the next clue and that clue leads them to another clue and another clue and another clue. And they have this, this perilous journey that they're finally traveling through. And they end up trapped in this one room. They don't know the way out. It seems like they're doomed. And then he sees this imprint in the wall. And he realizes that this pipe 
is the key. And he places it into that imprint, and he turns it, and it doors open, and they discover this treasure, this wonderful treasure. And then he's able to light this oil that goes throughout the room, and the treasure is much greater and grander than they ever imagined. And then one of his, uh, one of his cohorts starts to cry. And somebody asks him, why are you crying? And he says, I see stairs and a door. There's a way out. The Lagos was supposed to be that key that opened the door to the treasures of life. John says, the Lagos isn't merely a principle. The Lagos is a person who came to live among us. His name is Jesus. And he has a greater treasure than we can imagine. And he has the way out, the way to God, the way out of death itself. You know, I went through the first 20 years of my life on autopilot. I really wanted to know, I believe there was a meaning and a purpose to life. I, I never really pursued it other than to try to be happy. I wanted, I, I wanted a love, and I thought that was a very romantic love. If I find the right woman, um, that's gonna solve my life. I'm going to live happily ever after. After all, that's what the fairy tale says. I also knew that I wasn't the person that I should be. I knew there was wrong stuff in my life. There was sin in my life that I would... I knew it wasn't right and I should overcome, but I was really powerless. I was stuck in my sin. And I wanted the way, but I wanted to be truth. I was taught in college that uh, truth is subjective. Everybody makes up their own truth, but that didn't make sense to me. I don't know why Hitler would be just as right if he made up his truth as Mother Teresa would be. Uh, it just didn't seem right. Uh, God brought me to a place where he showed me himself. And in Christ were all the answers. I have a purpose, a purpose that matches the creation, my creation itself, where I find fulfillment in honoring and giving God his rightful place in my life. I have found that love that human love cannot replicate and that's the love that God has, so much love for me that he sent his son to die on the cross to take my evil and my bitterness and my hatred and pay for it. And though I still struggle to become the person I want to be, God has sent his spirit through Christ to help transform me and change me. And... It's not a made-up fantasy. It's all truth in Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people reject this. And they try to find their own meaning in life. They try to still come up with truth on their own. They, it's all built on air. Uh, one author described... Nietzsche, what Nietzsche said, 
to secular humanists, those who put God on the side and make man the center of life. And he said, he described it this way, Nietzsche, who of course did not believe in God, he thought God was dead, but he didn't have any respect for the alternative position either. And he said, essentially, secular humanists have taken all the goodies from Christianity, purpose in life, meaning, direction, uh, hope, but they've left the Christian foundation behind. There's nothing there. There's no basis and no foundation, as there is, at least for Christians and their beliefs. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, a uh, renowned atheist, uh, wrote in his book, We have the same job we always had, to say there are no final solutions, there's no absolute truth, there's no supreme leader, there's no talatorian solution. He's saying there is no logos, nothing that puts it all together. John says Jesus is the logos, and then Jesus proves it through his miracles. Are we searching for the bread of life, the sustenance of life itself, the core, the meaning of life? Are we looking for that bread of life? Jesus claimed, I am the bread of life. And he proved it by turning five loaves into enough bread to feed 5,000. Are you searching for truth in that foundation of truth? Jesus said, I am the light of the world that can help you to see and no truth. I am the truth. And then he proved it by healing a man who had been born blind, giving him sight. Do you want to know that you have life after death? Meaningful, purposeful life after death? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he proved it by bringing Lazarus back from the dead. Do you want the vitality of life? Jesus says, I offer you living water. Do you want one who can, can uh, shepherd your way, help you find the path and be there and care for you? He said, I am the good shepherd. Do you want to know the way to God? Jesus said, I am the way to God. And then he proved it by, raising, by rising from the dead himself. Yes, there is a Lagos. He came to earth and he proved he is the Lagos and he offers, the, he offers life itself to everyone. William Temple said this, The Lagos, alike for Jew and Gentile, represents the ruling fact of the universe and represents that fact as the self-expression of God. The Jew will remember that by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. The Greek will think of the rational principle by which all natural law as our particular expressions. Both will agree that this logos is the starting point of all things. That's the beginning of John and his presentation of who Jesus is. Why? Why was Jesus sent? Why did Jesus come? I think we get the hint in the opening words. In the beginning. 
as soon as we hear those words, most people, if you know the Bible at all, know that those are the first words of the Bible. It opens up, in the beginning, God created. And so as you hear those words and you say, in the beginning, the Word. And in verse 3, he's going to say, and the Word created. Nothing came into existence that is not in existence apart from the Word. He is the Creator. But we also begin to think of original creation. God created a world. He put humanity in it. He placed them in a paradise where there is no death, no disease, no tears. But what happened? Sin happened. Sin broke our world. It broke our relationship with God. It broke our relationship with one another. It broke our relationships with ourselves. It broke our relationship with creation. Jesus comes. He who was in the beginning comes to create a new beginning, to reverse the curse, to give us new life and bring us ultimately back to the paradise God created us to be. And that thread runs throughout John, we see the clues, the first clue being in the beginning. So we begin to think of creation and maybe a new creation. Then we have his presence. God himself has come. Jesus, and we see him in the glory of Christ. Then we move to chapter 2. The first miracle, the first miracle of Jesus pictures what his ministry is going to be. And what does he do? He turns water into wine. Six water pots, representing the six days of creation. And he's saying, in the, I have a new creation, taking the six days of creation, and I'm going to turn it into a life of celebration. He said, I came that you might have life and have abundantly. The next chapter, he says to Nicodemus, respected religious leader, you must be born again. You need to become a new person. And Jesus is the one to bring that. In John 9, there's a blind man who represents all of us. We're all born blind. Jesus gives sight. And so that, those clues are woven throughout the book till it finally reaches the cross. Where Jesus' last words on the cross are, it is finished. In Genesis, God created the world. And he says, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. Jesus says, my work is finished. And then he bowed his head and rested from his work. He offers the new creation. We can look around our world and it's, we can't doubt that our world is broken. Look at all the systemic evil we have, wars, ethnic cleansing, racism, slavery, human trafficking, terrorism. 
Then look at the, the personal crimes of murder, theft, embezzlement, sexual abuse. And then we can look into our own hearts and we see pride, gossip, slander, narcissism, jealousy, anger. We're all broken. What's the solution? What's the answer? One commentator captures it, the struggle. He said, the world in which we live is looking for a diagnosis of its condition and its possibilities for renewal. There are countless voices providing messages that promise to alleviate the struggle of life, of the questions that trouble us. We hear political and economic voices arguing that if we reallocate or reorganize or restructure, we'll build the sort of world where equity and charity win the day. Other voices are more deeply personal, arguing the problem is not sociological but human. The human soul is in need of repair or renewal, and if we provide the right education or therapy or vision of our neighbor, then all will be made right. These prophets of our day offer services that are deeply needed and useful, but their voices cannot replace the voice that John 1.1 introduces. The prologue to John is not about a message that offers hope, but about the message that is the only hope. It is not an idea, it is a person. Many people offer solutions outside of Christ, but the sin in our hearts turns everything bad. I mean, think of the internet. It can be such a wonderful tool, and it is a wonderful tool for so many good things, for the research we can do, for the ideas we can share with each other, for the connections we can make. But the evil in our hearts also turn it into a place where children are enticed into pornography, where terrorism is spread, where people enter in and steal from those who are online There's something wrong in our human hearts. We don't have the solutions. So Jesus came to die for our sins, to be the solution, the logos. As many as receive him, to those he gives life. Christ is the answer. We need to receive him. Accept him as our Savior. Know that we have sinned, and that's what separates us from God. But Christ took our sin out of the way so we could have that relationship with God and we could start to become the new people that Jesus told Nicodemus about. If you'd like to understand this more clearly, Travis will be up front with the prayer team following the service. You can talk to Pastor Travis. I'll be in the back. You can greet me on the way out and feel free to to just pull me aside and ask me more about Jesus. G.K. Chesterton is purported to have said, if I found a key on the road and discovered it fit and opened a particular lock at my house, I would assume most likely that the key was made by the lockmaker. 
If I find a set of teachings set out in pre-modern oriental society that has proven itself of such universal validity that it has fascinated and satisfied millions of people in every century, including the best minds in history and the simplest hearts, that has made itself a home in virtually every culture, inspired masterpieces of beauty in every field of art, continues to grow rapidly and spread and assert itself in lands where a century ago the names of Jesus Christ was not even heard. If such teaching so obviously fits the locks of so many human souls in so many times, in so many places, are they likely to be the work of a deceiver or a fool? In fact, it is more likely that they were designed by the heart maker himself. Jesus is the answer. He is the Lagos. He is the creator of the human heart. And everything you heard this morning cries out to your heart. It is true. I want that. It is found in Jesus Christ. Our Father, you are the one who turns words into reality, concepts into experience. I pray your spirit will work in each one of our hearts this morning to bring us into a deeper understanding of you, but greater than that, a deeper experience with you. Thank you that you sent the Lagos into our lives, into this world, May we be conveyors of this word as we wait the hope when you bring it all together and bring us back to yourself and to the paradise you created. In Christ we pray, amen.